Hey everybody, welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. And I'm Molly. And we are a happily married couple of four kids, ages 13. 10. Whoa, total whiff. No, 11. 11. Yeah. You whiffed it too. Yeah. We're under a lot of stress right now. Um, And we homeschool in Montana. And uh, if this is your first time joining us, thank you for being here. This show typically revolves around unplanned conversations. Well, not planned, undiscussed, and unrehearsed, maybe. Molly usually has, in fact, she's writing notes on her notepad now. Well, yeah, I'm looking at the sheet that I had from last week when you shortchanged us with where we went off on conspiracy theories. Yes, and I will, I do want to say, and we got in, things got a little spicy, um, as I mentioned. We don't usually have, we don't really argue for the most part as a couple. Um, but we'll get into some interesting conversations every now and then. We don't really argue. We just give each other the silent treatment, <laughs> which means we're not arguing, but we are, but we're not. Uh, yeah. But anyway, so, um, on that note, I got, we were up, uh, we were up skiing yesterday and I get a text from Marie in, um, Arizona who says, P.S. Until things got a little spicy last episode, I did kind of wonder if you guys were for real. (laughs) (laughs) Here we are. Believe it or not, we are very for real. Everything you hear about us, yeah. But nobody wants to hear us. Nobody wants to hear us hash through. Yeah, that was actually a safer argument. You mentioned that we've had several other arguments that you've just deleted because the conversation got... No, there's only been one I've actually deleted. Oh, okay. Because I couldn't recover. <laughs> Normally I can recover, but I couldn't recover. She also we've said... Had, we've also had one very early on that we re-recorded because it went so bad. <laughs> we re-recorded. It was like our third or fourth episode mm. ever. And we re-recorded it. But we also told people that we, were re- we had re-recorded it. We said, this is take two, because take yes. one did not go very well in talking. I think we were talking about money. Probably. Yeah. I typically get in trouble like today for, uh, not in trouble, but. um, Money is one of our points of tension. Yeah. And I try to alleviate that tension by asking Molly to run the finances, but she doesn't want anything to do with it. So it creates this weird. I feel like I have enough else going on. You do. It's very stressful to to manage that too. But then it, it feels like you stress out for something you don't, you've chosen not to be, not to deal with and be a part of. So it's like. I don't know. Yeah, I'm weird and hard. Yeah, you are. I am too. So anyway, and I I don't make, you know, I'm still going through like my full-time perpetual midlife crisis. So then I end up getting like mopey and self-absorbed because I don't have a normal career, normal job or no marketable skills. And then Molly gets cranky with me and that can turn into something, which is always fun. That is also a perpetual. And by fun, I'm being very sarcastic. Is Faith supposed to be lying down well, out there? Well, I don't know. She's guys, humming and Faith, playing. Faith, our three-year-old, and... is the only kid at home. The other three at their library with my mom. And usually she's either napping while we record or or being entertained with the others. And since neither of those are taking place, this could be an interesting bit of time here. So She did interrupt us a lot last week, which was she did. mildly adorable. Yeah, she's... I did learn something depressing kind of yesterday, today, the solar that I was planning on putting in the house, 
Um, unless you have a battery system, if the grid goes down, your solar goes down. Because they designed solar panels. To shut off so they don't backfeed back into the system, electrocuting whoever's working on the line at that particular moment in time. You would think, though, that there's a way to run it into your AC panel first, then out into the system. But apparently that's not how these grid tie systems are wired. Every company's like, well, that's what you need batteries for. Hmm. But you still lose... And the batteries are super expensive. You still lose solar power. Yeah, that's pretty frustrating. Regardless. So, so I'm like, what is the so point of this? Solar, solar is solely a money-saving slash hypothetically environment saving thing although oh yeah northwestern energy has their own internal program you can spend ten dollars a month for a full eight blocks of solar basically to feel good about yourself it gives you no discount on your bill oh you pay an extra ten dollars to buy into their solar e-green package but you don't get a discount you don't get a discount that's bizarre so yeah i don't do i don't actually buy into that because it takes so many fossil fuels to make solar panels and they are not renewable the panels themselves are not renewable in the least so the net carb however you believe that however accurately you believe people are producing that i it's a hard sell for me to believe that any of these so-called renewable energy resources such as windmills are actually doing anything to save the environment i recently read a report that that said that that argument that they use up tons of fossil fuels to make is actually an older argument that doesn't apply as much to current to, solar. to current solar because manufacturing processes have gotten so much better and so much more efficient on the panels. It doesn't take as much energy to produce them. Well, that's good. That is that's good. good. Um, what happens to a dead panel? After 30 years, I don't know. Okay. Did you know that they there last are like 25 they like give you entire 30-year warranties. fields in Texas mm-hmm. full of buried windmills? windmills? Yeah, I saw that. Because the Those have like no lifespan at yeah, all. Yeah, and amazing. the blades somehow get weakened from vibrations from the wind and they're compromised and they have nothing to do with them but bury them. Apparently some people are turning shorter parts of the of the stand, I don't know what it's called. Into, like, living quarters, Mm -hmm. which would be kind of cool. I live in a converted windmill. But uh, anyway, that's not, again, anything that I was planning to talk about today. No, sorry. I just... It's interesting. And it's an update on our life. Hmm. I had... (laughs) What? Update on our life. I had an interesting conversation today with the kids. We were driving to one of our homeschool adventure club outings, which not knowing what the weather would have been like, we actually planned it as an indoor thing. And we watched a TV or a a video series that our kids have loved. And I'm going to send it to JR right now for him to post a link to it's called the Wild Brothers. We've probably we've we have talked about we've it talked before. About them before. So anyway, sure. we watched the first three episodes. They're like 30 minute episodes of the Wild Brothers uh, with a group of other kids and none of the other kids or moms had seen any of it before and most of them thoroughly enjoyed them as I knew they would it's entertaining for parents and kids alike um, but while we were on our way driving to the friend who was hosting it in her church's basement Titus turns to me and I never actually got out of him why he asked this question but he said what's Catholic mean? 
And I was like, oh, that's an interesting question. Well, Catholic has two meanings. The word itself simply means universal. But it has become a proper noun denoting a particular type of church. So, and then the thing that I thought was kind of fun about this conversation, besides it gave me a chance to emphasize to my kids a couple of key points of theology that I think are important. The thing that it was fun about the conversation is I was able to link, link together various things that we've been studying in school. So we do My Father's World, and it's unit studies that go in periods of history, and we are studying right now. It's called Rome to the Reformation. So basically, we started with the Roman Empire, and at the end of the year, we will end in the era of the Reformation. And so I I was like, do you remember after Jesus died and the apostles are out teaching everywhere, and gradually those churches, people started coming up with beliefs that differed from other churches and they finally all got together because there was such disagreement about key points of theology like who is Jesus and we had discussed with the kids Arius and how Constantine called the Council of Nicaea and I said and what, you know, at the end of the the Nicene Creed, we say we believe in one, and they were like, holy and apostolic church, or when, it, when is it one holy and apostolic church? Anyway, maybe it's the Apostles' Creed that says one Catholic, one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And I said, in that instance, Catholic is C with a little c. It's not a proper noun, but it just means a universal church, that every Christian all over the world believes in the same God, is saved in the same way by grace. And when we say the apostolic church, that means that we're founding the church on the message from the apostles who were disciples sent by God. Apostle means sent and are sent by Jesus out to spread his message through the world. And then I, I said, and then remember the church, they, they eventually consolidated power just like a government does. And they had layers of leaders, leadership. And we're now in the era of like the Holy Roman Empire and Charlemagne. And so, and we've been learning about some Catholic monks, or, yeah, monks and how they copied scripture. And I said, and what, what's the leader of the church called? And they were like, well, it's the Pope. And I said, okay, so he's considered the leader of the Catholic church. And I did a really quick and dirty, and in a way that a Catholic probably wouldn't agree with, description of Luther era <laughs> Catholic theology. I said, Luther started the Reformation, and you guys know the Reformation because we celebrate Reformation Day, but Luther started that with trying to protest, and that's where the Protestant comes from, practices in the Catholic Church that he thought were against the Bible, like paying the church for the forgiveness of sins. And Lily goes, if they were telling people they had to get paid for forgiveness of sins, I bet some people, whoever they were paying, was really rich. <laughs> yes. Everybody in the world has sins that need to be forgiven. Oh, man. And yes, you've seen pictures of the Sistine Chapel. That's where, the, at least in part, that's where the money was going to. A lot of fine food, a lot of fine clothes, a lot of fun. And all of this amazing artwork, statues paintings, things like that, 
that a lot of that came from I mean, Luther went to Rome on an errand when he was a young monk and was disgusted with the opulence that he saw in Rome. And that was one of many issues that he took with the capital C Catholic Church. And and so we that's where I took the opportunity to ask them, how do you get forgiven for your sins? Can you pay somebody enough money to get forgiven for your sins? And they were like, no. Can you be a good enough person? And no, okay, how do you get forgiven for your sins? Jesus. And I was like, let's be more specific. What about Jesus gets your sins forgiven? And I was kind of driving. We have a friend who has granddaughters who go to a very different style of church than she does. And one of them asked her on a visit to see her heard something in a sermon and was like, wait a second. You mean if I make a mistake in the Old Testament, if I were in the Old Testament and I made a mistake, they would kill a sweet, innocent animal over that mistake. And our friend was horrified that her granddaughter, who is ostensibly being, who is being raised in a Christian home, had that, that shallow of an understanding of human sin, as well as human you know what what sacrifice was required to forgive our sins and and also the idea that uh a a sin is a mistake (laughs) and so i took the opportunity to go back to the old testament with the kids and remind them you know paul repeats in romans without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins no forgiveness of sins and so and then uh for some reason, they must have been thinking Catholic Church with a capital. And I pointed out to them, in my work with Canavox, I work with a lot of Catholics, and they are into... That's confusing, because now you're saying you work with a lot of Universalists. No, yeah, that's a different No, not Universalists, Universal Church. <laughs> I, I said I work with a lot of Roman Catholics, and even most really, as Jim Gaffigan would say, Shiite Catholics, although I would argue his wife is not a Shiite Catholic, as many, many very dedicated Catholics, they would call themselves Roman Catholics to differentiate that even for themselves. But I truly believe that I have Roman Catholic friends who believe in their heart that they are saved by grace. Despite the theology of their church, I believe that they will be in heaven and that they are trusting in the blood of Jesus to forgive their sins. I also think there's a lot of Catholics who are trusting in their works and the trappings of the church. And it's not up to me to know their hearts. It's up to me to try to speak the truth when I can to them. But I don't, I was like, I told the kids, I said, I don't know their hearts, but I can tell you we don't need to look down on Catholics because as long as they're reading the Bible, God has a chance to speak to them in his word. Oh, that was another thing. I said, even today, a lot of Roman Catholics believe, you know, we've got the Pope, and Roman Catholics believe that the apostolic authority, where we say apostolic authority stopped with the writing of Scripture, and if you want to know what God has to say to you, you you speak, you know, you go to the Bible. And if somebody has, says something that you think you might disagree with, you go to the Bible to check it. Well, the Roman Catholics, they have the Pope, and they believe that the things the Pope say has the same amount of authority from God that the Bible says. And I said, what's our catechism question that goes back to that? And they couldn't come up with the question, but neither could I. 
but we could all remember the answer, which is, and it's what authority from God teaches us how to glorify and and enjoy Him. And the answer is the only authority that teaches us how to glorify and enjoy God is in the... The Holy Scriptures, the Bible. The Bible alone. The Bible alone. alone. And... If you think about the context in which that catechism, which now I'm going to have to... When was the Westminster Shorter Catechism? When was the Westminster Assembly? 16... 1643. Ooh, that was close. I, I was actually thinking it was a little earlier than that. Okay, so almost 400 years ago, 380 years ago... These guys are still part of the Protestant protesting against the Catholic Church, Reformation, reforming the Church. They're still part of the Protestant Reformation. And so when they say the only authority is in the Bible alone, they're actually speaking into a time in history where many of their peers, and they were in England, so they're also the Church of England and the Catholic, you know, the the king is putting himself as the head over the church too, but they're they're countering things going on in their world by saying the only authority is in the Bible alone. So it was kind of fun to just draw all those links through that we've studied in history the the foundation of the church, and we've actually been reading a book too a little bit called How the Bible Came to Us, but I didn't bring that in about why is what the apostles say. What, like Paul and Peter say in Scripture, authoritative, and how did those particular letters and books become authoritative versus others, and you know that the Catholics or whatever integrate in. But it was kind of a fun for me, a fun conversation to be able to use things that we've been studying throughout the year as hooks and weave them together in a way that I think made sense to the kids. I didn't get any of those random, like I can't even think of you know what are brownies made from, you know, at the end of my lecture on theology, you know, it was they at least they weren't totally thinking of other things, even if they weren't totally tracking. But Titus and Lily at least acted like they thought they were tracking with all the different threads I was trying to pull together. So anyway, that was a fun conversation. Cool. And in Elisa's school last week, we... We're reading in her basic Bible reader the story of Moses and the burning bush. And she asked, why did Moses have to take off his shoes? What's it, what have you always heard for why did Moses have to take off his shoes? Because he was standing on holy ground. Yeah, I don't remember. <clears throat> I don't remember why, what I learned, but that's, it's holy ground and you don't. But what does what do shoes have to the do symbolic? with symbolic? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. But I know like a variety of religions have a no shoes policy. Oh, that's true. Mm-hmm. I never thought about that. Um What about the seraphim in Isaiah six, where in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah has the vision and he's taken up to the throne, and the seraphim have six wings, and with one they cover their faces, and with one can't remember what they're doing with one pair. And with another pair, they're covering their feet. I think they were covering their mouth. No, were they covering their mouth? 
you guys, we are um, so not on top of this. With two, he covered. I actually had it pulled up because I was with. Yeah. He had six wings, the seraphim. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. Would I don't have any clue why God created the angels. That's a different topic, and I am not even remotely prepared. But I would probably argue that whatever the seraphim is doing in that passage is directly related to their purpose. I don't know what that is. Okay, so I have always understood... I've never really spent any time thinking about it. I have always understood that there's a relationship between the seraphim covering their feet in Isaiah 6... And Moses taking his shoes off because he's in holy ground. And both of them are because feet are a symbol of creatureliness. And so before a holy God... You could make a similar... You could probably extrapolate that into New Testament foot washing, too. Fairly that's easily. Ex- okay, why would you do that? I've actually been trying to figure out why... My brain is trying actually to do exactly that, to make that link. And why did you go there so quickly? Um, I went there so quickly because of righteousness. We had a conversation. We had a, what were we, what were you, the, the, the sheet, Peter's vision mm-hmm. um, was about cleanliness, clean and unclean throughout the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. If feet are the sign of creatureliness. And you could argue that creatureliness are creatures. They're not the created. They're designed to worship. Um, it could simply be a symbolism of clean and unclean of our creatureliness, our fallen sinfulness humanity. Mm-hmm. That's why my brain went there so fast. Why? Otherwise, why does it... Feet are... Dis- in the New Testament, feet were disgusting. They were gross. Right. We all know the story about feet. Um, but why was it symbolic that somebody else washed the feet? It's the same symbolism as Christ dying for your sins. Yes. I actually think, as I've been mulling over, if there's a relationship between Moses take off your feet because you're standing on holy ground and the seraphim covered their feet because they were recognizing my my creatureliness, even though the angels are not fallen, the creator-creature distinction is so vast. So great. That even an unfallen created being can't stand and see or have symbols of creatureliness like their feet just exposed to a blazingly holy God. So I you know, yeah. So like, that's why you need huh, that's why you need the covering to be in the presence of God. The seraphim covered their feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Moses Christ's uncovered. blood covers us, but, but he, he he uncovered his feet because he couldn't stand, but there was no sacrif- sacrificial thing going on there. Either. There kind of is, though. I think that it is a Philippians 2, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form, taking on human likeness in the form of a servant. So... We've always, you know, the story of foot washing, you always hear, oh, feet were disgusting. Look how, you know, Jesus. Look how servant hearted they are. Look how servant Jesus was because nobody else around would bother washing feet. And it was the host's job to get their feet washed. It was the servant's job to wash feet. And Jesus did it. 
I think it's so much more humiliating for him to be doing that because he, being in very nature God, went all the way to the humiliating creatureliness, the incarnation, the humiliation of the incarnation itself, not even Jesus' suffering and death, but just that God himself would take human form, including himself having feet, and then himself and being born of a woman, and we all know how gross that is, and, well, some of us do. It's gross, trust me. And then being then taking on the form of a servant to wash human feet that in somebody like Moses are both a sign of creatureliness as well as fallen creatureliness. And now I'm wondering, maybe somebody smarter than me or more prepared than me. Oh, we've me got some nerds. Would know this. <laughs> got some now, nerds see, to now though, I'm wondering what priests would wear on their feet to enter the Holy of Holies. I mean, nothing would be my guess. Or would they... So so Moses covered, took off his shoes because he's on holy ground. The seraphim covered their feet. What Maybe taking off your shoes and displaying your, your, your feet is a sign of humility. A sign of recognizing that you your are a creature on holy ground. And the vulnerability of not having your feet mm-hmm. covered. Scorpions in the desert. I mean, the tent didn't have a floor, did it? Uh, I, Rugs? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'm not getting anything. I will try to follow up on this. Since I didn't do it now, all I'm getting is the priest entered the Holy of Holies with a rope. And all the pictures, because we know that pictures mm-hmm. on a Google search, images. Uh, so this one... FatherJohn.blogspot.com. Jesus is also Vidal, a Vidal Sassoon model. Right. Uh, he says, walk on barefoot, standing on holy ground. Is this... In, and okay, I will Google that. I will do some searching and try to follow up on this because I'm not getting any... any I'm wondering it, if there are specific instructions in the Old Testament with what a priest would wear to enter. Because, you know... Everything else about his garments uh-huh. was so specific. And I just am totally drawing a blank if there was anything about their feet. If it's anything, you guys, if it's anything like Molly and the Peter's vision, she's going to ask at least four different people and study it in length for two weeks. I don't know. I think I've, I'm not feeling <laughs> quite yeah. as angsty about this or not as angsty. Like there's not as much, I feel like I've said everything except for the priest's feet thing that there is to be said. Maybe there's something about feet in Revelation. That would be super fascinating. Uh, Bronze the only feet other... on the statue? No, that's Daniel. Yeah, that's Daniel. That actually, the feet there are a symbol of a human kingdom. Mm-hmm. I know that. And then we've got the Psalms, how lovely on the mountains of are the feet of them. Or is that Isaiah? Who bring good news? But I don't think that has anything to do with, like, if we were to do a word study of feet throughout Scripture and uh, the theology of feet. All right. All right. So... F- uh, Father John Whiteford, July 2014, posted a picture of a priest, a uh, high priest as he enters the Holy of Holies, walk in barefoot, standing holy ground. But d- he doesn't have any scripture references going with that. No. So I want scripture. 
scripture references. All the Google images show him barefoot. I know, but I want scripture. I want scripture references backing it up. All right, if I have extra time this week, um, I will do some searches on that. <clears throat> another one, the priestly garments on another website. Scripture references for everything except barefoot as he was standing on holy ground. So maybe following Moses' example, that would that would make sense. That'd be the simple, easy. Mm-hmm. Easy? Uh, it'd be, yeah. It, it would be the clearest understanding, but we will do some Googling and try to follow up on that. There's the churchofjesuschrist.org has a picture. Sorry, random. This is totally random, you guys. Has a picture of a guy standing in what Old Testament high priest clothing. It looks so weak. Their fabrics, I think, were probably a lot richer and a lot more interesting. Those just look like thin look- bed sheets and random pieces of cloth. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It just doesn't look... There's nothing... There's nothing there's no, priestly in... No, there's nothing priestly. There's no gravitas there. It's just a guy wearing well, it's symbolic a, robes. It is a definite... Yeah. Not like these dudes. They're, you know, not like the Catholic Church with what they wear. Though, I mean, those are robes. Yeah. Ooh. Royal. You know? Yep. So I kind of expect the high priest to wear something a little more along those lines. Well, given the fact that they brought in the best of the best weavers... And mm-hmm. artisans to make every little piece of their of their yep. garments as yeah, well as of the temple. I feel like it it's safe to assume it would have been a crazy just like the temple itself would have been a crazy wonder with all of the gold. You know, think about Solomon's I know we've talked about this before, but reading through the Old Testament, thinking about Solomon's temple and there was so much silver in Solomon's kingdom they just used it for silver like it was throwaway stuff there was so much silver and when they did dedicated the temple or something or is it all hiding somewhere it was it was stripped did it away all get, yeah but what did it what did it get turned into where did it go I don't know it's do we have access know. to that much silver probably or is it, I think it's world. buried in sand somewhere there's this cave hole <laughs> I think you've the been, Nazis watch, found it you've been watching Aladdin too much, possibly, or Indiana Jones. Did you know Titus the other day says to me, did you know that Han Solo is Indiana Jones? And I was like, yes, he's a famous actor who's been in a lot of other things too. Who, you guys, fun fact, occasionally flies into Billings. He's a pilot and one of his main avionics companies is based out of here. Really? So he flies into Billings... Every now and then, and yeah, our buddy Ty ran into him outside of uh, the granary one night. That's he was walking in, and silly. Harrison Ford was walking out, and Ty's like, "Oh," and just kind of pointed at him, and he's like, "Harrison just kind of gave me that lopsided grin." That's said, funny. "How you doing?" Hilarious. <laughs> Ty's like, "Good." Hilarious. <laughs> kind of just walked out the door. Um. So Jr.'s birthday is tomorrow, you guys. He can tell you how old he's turning if he wants to. Forty-three. Forty-three, for those of you who speak normal English. Uh, and we had a birthday dinner for him over the weekend. He really wanted a make-your-own-sushi party. So, curious if anybody else out there has done a make-your-own-sushi party. It's actually not that 
hard. It's really easy. It's just a lot of work. Ton of work. And ton of prep. Ton of cleanup. Ton of prep, ton of cleanup. Especially because so the sushi rice, I had a couple of people ask me, where'd you get all the special like the nori wrapping paper and the sushi rice and the wasabi? The wasabi came from the seafoods of the world mm-hmm. store where we you got, got a all fresh the fish. fish place here in town. But everything else I got at a Walmart pickup. The sushi rice I bought a five pound bag. The nori rice wrappers, they or seaweed wrappers. Walmart had a limit of two, and I didn't know how much we'd go through, so I bought several different brands of the same thing so that I could get it all in one swoop. But everything came from Walmart. All of the innards, the avocados, the cucumbers. I smoked my own filet of salmon on the Traeger, and everything else, the raw fish share, cut up. And the wasabi is just a powder that you mix with water until it's a paste that you want. But it comes in a two-pound bag of powder. It's with the good, the good stuff that we had. Um, you can get a big bag of ginger. Yep. We still have some. Did we freeze the leftover fish? We have not frozen anything. We should. You need to deal with it. it. You need to deal with it. You need to eat it. Um, I. So first of all, if you guys are ever interested in doing make your own sushi, you can find all the how to make the special rice. How to roll rolls, which is actually again not that hard. You just your my main point of of advice is make sure you do a very thin layer of rice when you're mm-hmm. spreading it on because when you roll it up, it turns into a very thick layer of rice very easily, and that's pretty much it. Even the people who'd never done it before, their first roll, they were like, "Well, that that's not bad." Go <laughs> me, and most of the kids who were ages like 10 the kids in like the ages 7 through 10 range all were quite successful in Our making kids love rolling rolls. Their own sushi. they don't like eating it which is a problem because they, they love made, making it yeah but anyway the rice has a rice vinegar and sugar and salt mixture do we have leftover rice we do we have a lot of leftover oh, rice because we got left i could do another sushi some of the rice i left out for my birthday and some of it I froze to hopefully make fried rice out of because there was that much rice left over. But when you're rolling it, when you're making it around your kitchen counter and people are spilling rice on your floor, the sugar mixture mixed with the rice starch makes for a very sticky and gross. But you've got a lot kitchen of kitchen floor and kitchen counter. You've got a lot. You spent a lot of time prepping the fish into little strips and the vegetables into. And it's funny because it's kind of. To me, a sushi roll is very similar to a cocktail. You have your base fish. Or a taco. Which would be your base liquor in a cocktail. And then with that, you have various ingredients you add with that to make your cocktail. And probably 90% of all sushi is the only other two ingredients are going to be cucumber and avocado. Mm-hmm. Are, are basically it. And then add your, add your fish. We also then you can had add, mango, which yep. people added to a lot. And of then you can ones. decorate your fish on top of that. If you do an inside-out roll, which is the rice on the outside, those are also not hard to do. Then you know you can layer other fish over top of it. Um, it's just so funny because fish, it, sushi's like, I think I paid. So how many people did we have? We had <clears throat> ten or eleven adults. Okay, the nicest sushi restaurant in town. They have very good sushi. And they make big um, rolls. You have to know. Well, they're pretty bigger. Big rolls. They used to make bigger rolls when his dad ran the place, but they don't make as big a rolls anymore. But 
their rolls are going to be somewhere between $18 and $27 a roll, depending on what you get. All the other restaurants in town are going to be somewhere around. I haven't been re- actually. I haven't been recently at all. The last time I went, you were looking at anywhere between eight for a California roll and like seventeen or eighteen for a dragon roll. You know, um, well, you have do the math on that. Do the math on maybe six two or three rolls. rolls a person. Yeah, two or three rolls a person for however many people we had. Ten adults. I spent $118 on fish. And I spent about $100 more on other ingredients. And I fed everybody. People and were we had, uncomfortably full. And we had lots of food left over. Like yeah. it's, It was so much more affordable to go and buy, find a seafood place to buy the stuff that's flown in that day or, you know, the stuff they have freeze, you know, they flash freeze and bring in so it's like uber fresh and you're getting like this fish is the same i guarantee you this fish is the same fish that every other sushi restaurant in town uses mm-hmm. yeah. we all we all get our sushi stuff at the same place so yeah. one of my buddies who was there came from california he's like i've yet to have good sushi in here and it's just a landlocked state blah i'm like they all fly it in so anyway he made his own he'd never made sushi before and he loves it and he's like huh this is the best sushi i've had in montana he's like <laughs> your own <laughs> Yep. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, Most ding. homemade meals. So I was thinking, I I was thinking if we had had a, it was, people were so enthusiastic about doing the sushi. We didn't have any time to do one of our every moment holy liturgies or something. But I had just finished reading, and I bet a lot of you guys out there have read this, S.D. Smith's book, The Green Ember, which is a fighting rabbits book. And... Sarah McKenzie of the Read Around Read Aloud Revival loves it. And Titus has read, my mom has, there's four books in the main series, and then he's got spinoff tales of like stories of hero rabbits from ages past that the kids get told as they're growing up. And so he's got spinoff series of those. And he's a he's a great writer. I was I read half of the book one night and then it took me two or three more nights to read the rest of it. But he, without giving away the story, which I think would actually, Sarah McKenzie says it's her family's favorite read aloud series. So I think it might be fun to try reading Mm. it aloud instead of me trying to get you to read it to yourself. You just dive in to reading it aloud to the family. Mm -hmm. But um, without giving away too much of the story, I'm going to read two excerpts from it because there's a phrase in there that I've, been thinking about a lot lately that has to do with our love of fellowship over food and things like that. It says, before she turned in for the night, Heather stood before the painting of what she was convinced was her old home in what had been the great wood. A heaviness fell on her. Images of mother, father, and Jacks filled her mind. She imagined them all together, living in the hollow in the painting. Looking at the painter's initials, F.S., Finbar Smalls, she thought of Smalls, then of Emma, then of the whole upsy-down world and its million broken hearts. She wasn't exactly sure what they meant by the mended wood, but she began to long for it. She began to believe somehow that she had always longed for it. And the several times she hears this phrase that we are heralds of the mended wood. And the mended wood is the idea of, essentially it's the this rabbit world's mm-hmm. new heavens and new earth. And the idea mm-hmm. that that beauty in this world is creating beauty of any sort, food, 
imagery, words, relationship in general, is is you are then a herald of the mended wood. So here's another description of that. There are secret citadels, though only a few, which have kept alive a hope of invading and retaking the great wood. I wish them well, and part of my sewing and mending goes to support them, but there's another kind of mending that must be done. This place is full of farmers, artists, carpenters, midwives, cooks, poets, healers, singers, smiths, weavers, workers of all kinds. We're all doing our part. But good, what good will all that do? Heather asked. Shouldn't everyone fight for the great wood? Sure we should, Mrs. Weaver said. In a sense, some must bear arms and that is their calling. But this, she motioned back to the mountain behind her, is a place dedicated to the reasons why some must fight. Here we anticipate the mended wood, the great wood healed. These painters are not seeing, are seeing what is not yet, but we hope will be. They really are seeing, but it's a different kind of sight. They anticipate the mended wood. So do all in this community in our various ways. We sing about it. We paint it. We make crutches and soups and have gardens and weddings and babies. This is a place out of time, a window into the past and the future world. We are heralds, you see, my dear, saying what will surely come. And we prepare with all our might to be ready when once again we are free. That idea of being heralds of the mended wood in making crutches and soups and having gardens and weddings and babies and having dinner parties. And yesterday was lovely at the ski area because Jair was able to redeem the disappointment of forgetting both knee braces. He gets up there and is like, I forgot both my knee braces and doesn't have an ACL in one leg and has a replaced ACL in the other leg. And I was like, well, can't you just ski some greens with Faith? Nope. Not going to take that chance. Catch oh, one edge. And yeah, one rack and I'm I'm out for a year. Not again. Happening. So anyway, JR, we had taken the van up, which had a fire pit, solo stove. And so JR sat at the van with the fire going and gathered people who wanted to come <clears throat> chat and hang out pretty much all day. You were virtually not by yourself all day. It's true. And then I wandered over another couple in a van had pulled up and they waved at me as I was leaving. And there's an interesting dynamic with uh, subcultural dyna- subculture dynamic with van owners, especially sprinter owners. Um, if you have a home built sprinter, well, once you build a sprinter, you can tell who's a, home built, a home not. built or slash custom build. Hmm. You, you you just know like the way because most builds from a factory all look exactly the same. So the people who even if they were to hire a van outfitter to build their van for them, almost every custom van builder, they wave at each other. They wave at you. You're like, oh, hey, yeah. Hey, look, another one. Cool. We're in a club. Yeah. Um if you drive a Revel, one of the Winnebago's that you get from the factory, the really super... You would fa- acknowledge no, the... No, they don't acknowledge you. They don't wave. Nothing. So, anyway, I was leaving before I decided I didn't have time to go home and turned around and I waved at this van and turned around and came back and then decided to park. And about 20 minutes later, they came down from having uh, purchased lift tickets and I chatted with them for a while. So and then you were back just, to your fire pit, and, and that was right when Faith pit. and I were coming down. Yep. And, and then some friends of mine, one of my other volunteer patroller buddies, came up with his family, and so they hung out for a while, and it was a good time. 
You should lean forward and peek out your door. Faith is wearing some sort of item. Safety glasses. And safety glasses. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what she's doing, but man, I love it when a kid her age just the imagination takes off and she's talking to herself. You can just tell. She is full on probably a two part conversation at least going on. And she's not wearing the clothing that she was wearing when we came in here. It's fantastic. It's so cute. It's it's. If the rest of our sweet. lives could be as smooth as that, as smooth and cute as that, yeah. Um, so anyway, I mean, even just sitting around the fire, having conversation on a bright blue sunny day was, I feel like, just this. I don't want to over spiritualize it, but it's a it's a mended wood sort of experience that. You can pause in the midst of stress and angst and the world, you know, what did you just send me? Russian drone has ventured over Poland territory. Before turning around and getting shot down. Yeah. Yeah. You know, stuff like that where it's, that's all we're bombarded with every day. And I think that we need to carefully cultivate mended wood sorts of experiences, even in our this is my last my last rant and then I'm gonna go make tacos even in our relatively safe secure you know we had lunch after church on Sunday a church lunch and the gal that I was sitting across from she started to say something about financial stress and struggles with one of her kids and she caught herself and she was like I mean I know that it's nothing compared to mothers fleeing for their lives with their babies and you know my stress about a higher electrical bill is nothing compared to wondering if I'm even going to have a home because I'm a refugee and I I stopped her and I was like I I don't think you should feel like you have to apologize for your own woes and your own stress. I think it's good to keep it in perspective, but but the fact of the matter is $5 a gallon gas is a real problem. And it's I mean that's cheap compared to some parts of the country, but that's where we're at here in Montana right now. And the fact of the matter is there are poor people in America that the inflation of all its stripes that it's hitting us in is going to cause kids to go hungry. It's going to cause people to not be able to heat their homes in the winter. It causes real problems. And even our own worries about how high is this going to go and how much is it going to tax us and what are we going to have to give up? And our worries about other global issues. Yes, we're not getting shot at and we're not refugees with our babies, but our problems are real problems. So to say to someone... Yeah, sure, you have, you know, just because you have cancer doesn't mean that my broken arm doesn't hurt. Mm -hmm. One of them is more serious than the other, but it doesn't mean that the broken arm doesn't hurt. And trying to minimize the pain of the broken arm by by comparison is not helpful. So I, I just feel that's part of my rant. My other part of my rant, which I will be very brief about, is the the same people who are doing this comparison, like, stop complaining about inflation because there's, at least you're not, are also the same people who are like, stop politicizing this emergency. Let's just be compassionate to the people in the middle of the emergency. And as Ali Stuckey always says, elections matter and who the politicians are mat- 
are matter because the policies that they create matter and the policies matter because they have a real life impact on people. Mm -hmm. And so if you're going to, I'm not going to throw it in your face that I think you voted for the wrong guy that who is causing a lot of these problems because the other guy, you know, if you look at when inflation started, it started with stimulus checks that didn't start under Biden. It started with starting to print massive amounts of money under Donald Trump. He is not blameless whatsoever. In, yes, inflation has skyrocketed since Biden and with Biden's policies and we're not energy efficient or even remotely energy independent like we could be because of Biden's policies. Things like that are actual like I'm again, I don't think either side is without fault, but don't tell me not to complain about gas prices when I think that there are real solutions that can be being pursued and you're just trying to shut down conversation because you don't think you, you realize you're not on the winning side. Just be compassionate right now. This isn't the time to, you know, any emergency in the last year that hasn't gone, you know, this isn't the time to politicize this shooting because the shooter was not white. You know, like if the shooter's white, we're going to politicize it. But if the mm -hmm. shooter is not white, let's just be compassionate to the people who are the victims. I feel like some of that's going on in the Ukraine-Russia thing, as well as just tons of posts. And unfortunately, I feel like they're mostly from the same stripe of people who are saying, don't be upset about what's going on domestically because the global problems are so much bigger. And I just feel like this is not ending this conversation on a redemptive note at all. We should go back to the mended wood. But I just feel like it, just a lot of frustration because it's okay to be stressed and feel pain in your life, even if your pain isn't as bad as somebody else's pain. Anyway, back to the mended wood. Sorry, guys. We usually try to end on a high note, and that was just a Molly rant that it, we probably could have done without. <laughs> it was in my notes. I had to say it. Just kidding. <laughs> well, I haven't let you say anything in your notes for like the last four episodes. So That's true. There's, That's true. There's that. I think I actually got through all of my notes today. And um, I made cream puffs for dessert from JR's birthday. If you're making sushi or if you're making cream puffs for 20 people, I would encourage you not to go to Mel's Kitchen Cafe and triple the recipe. <laughs> Probably just doing one recipe for your party of 20 would be sufficient. Don't do cream puffs after a sushi party. In fact, don't plan for anything after a sushi party except for maybe like a liquid dessert. I I don't know. Maybe like Andy's mints or something. We were so full. We were uncomfortably full. I had I had a couple of cream puffs the next on morning. Sunday following because I could actually eat more than one and enjoy them. And we had tons left over. But if you do choose to follow Mel's Kitchen Cafe cream puff recipe, which is delicious, especially not on a very uncomfortably full stomach. My only advice from that is cook them longer than you think you should because like, don't be afraid of really getting a lot of brown on them because if they're even remotely not cooked in the middle, they will collapse and become cream flats instead of cream puffs. And we had one round of those, which is why I had to go around and make 
more of them, and I ran myself out of eggs and butter this weekend doing cream puffs. Mm. But I'll send JR the cream puffs recipe just in case you're interested. As well as a link to the Green Ember book. And I'm done. Go ahead and do your closing spiel. Okay. I won't include any links to um, how to do your own sushi because that that's you don't need me for that. Um, if you did, if you do want to, I will include a link though, however. Need to figure out a transition there really quick. If you do want to, uh, I will include the link to our Telegram group. Um, our Telegram chat group is um, a group of individuals that um, listen to the show regularly and like to participate in not only in discussing what we've discussed on here and furthering the conversation, but also uh, just coming up with random bits and pieces of conversation too. So. Um, you can join that group of other like-minded, interesting people around the United States, mostly in South Carolina, it appears, um, <laughs> by clicking the uh, the link in the show notes. Our, sh- our notes are in the show notes. I'm really bad. We're both really bad at posting um, things like recipes on our blog. I would like to be better about that, but we just we're just really bad about that. So I apologize now, but I'll, I'll include the links in the show notes. If you don't want to join the group but still want to reach out to us, you can do so on our website, www.toobusytoflush.com, all grammatically correct, or tb2f.com, and you can use the scroll down and use the send us a postcard option. We also have an email address, tb2f at pm, papamike.me, tb2f at pm.me, so feel free to send us a text message if, or an email if you want to. Uh, while you're on the website, though, order yourself a People Are Weird and Hard uh, coffee mug. Um, if I get motivated, I'll put up some more swag, but for the most part, nobody buys anything, so it's just sitting up there. It's kind of just people fun. buy stuff. Occasionally, yeah. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, a couple items here and there. Um, and if you guys are interested and want to, this is, um, this is totally new, but if you're concerned about where things are headed inflation-wise and do want to experiment with using Bitcoin as a uh, hedge... Um, reach out to me on one of those channels and I'll share a referral code with you that will um, get you like 10 bucks in free BTC um, through an app called Gemini. Although I'm experimenting with another app called Cash App because I feel like some of these other apps charge because they're not on exchanges directly. They charge a little bit more money for uh, they pad the exchange a little bit to pocket there. Part of the things. But anyway, um, Cash App is pretty good. It's like Venmo and PayPal. I've got a referral code for that too. That'll give us both like 15 bucks. So you can turn around and buy some Bitcoin with that. Um, you can purchase Bitcoin on both of those things. I'm a big fan of cryptocurrencies. I spent some time last night um, researching cypherpunks. Um, I think I would be considered a cypherpunk and I identify with their movement. I almost applied for a job with. Uh, with a Web3 company that's uh, working on a lot of Liberty stuff, but um, I don't uh, I don't think that's the right move for me right now. So anyway, um, random. That was totally random. Sorry, mm-hmm. Mom, on the, on the show close. Anyway, that's it, you guys. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for your time. Thank you for being here. Thank you for... Thank you for being our friends. Yeah, that's pretty cool, too. You guys are fun. All right, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.